Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly, and we're back with another East Tennessee Fishing Report with Ellis Ward. Ellis, how you doing? I am doing well, Marv. How are you? I'm getting there. Sounds like you've gotten over whatever the uh, the kiddo gave you uh, right before Thanksgiving. I think a couple of days ago was the last time that I was making funny noises breathing. So, yeah. I think I'm okay now. I hope I'm not speaking too soon. Uh, dude, if I hear the kazoo whistle when you breathe next time, I'll know that's the case. <clears throat> <laughs> so, you know, we, we got a big shot of rain right around Thanksgiving. I would say we're going to get a bump up in temperatures to be a little warm, but we're kind of grooving into that kind of gray, you know, 50s, upper 40s, kind of, you know, early winter crud. What are you seeing on the water? I couldn't be happier. I know a lot of these days that it's overcast and you know, let's say you're getting up when the sun's coming up. The days that it's gray, it it still feels dark outside for a good hour around when you normally wake up. I'm getting up, you know, th- those are my early mornings. And if it's, you know, if I have my daughter, it's because I want to be tying before she's up. If I'm going on a trip, it's probably because I'm tying. Um, the The transition away from big sun, high pressure, those unsettled days in the fall, which, you know, they those can be great. Getting into a little bit of stability, having temperatures get to a place of stability. There, there's some of it goes to predictability in fishing. I mean, talking about wintertime brown trout and muskie, there's there's only so much predictability that you're going to get. But um, the the gray, the gray, the rainy, getting away from. One of the most severe droughts in record-keeping history, last hundred or so years, in, in a lot of these watersheds in East Tennessee, Western North Carolina, Southwest Virginia. Yeah, it's 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 feeling good right now. Yeah, and I would imagine as it gets colder, it's going to make it even easier to pattern the muskie, right? Yeah. You would imagine that, wouldn't you? I would imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> you can, you know, they get in their winter pools, and when you find them, they are, we'll say they, their location is more easily patterned. They, they tend to not move as far. I think there's something to be said for the fly and th- this will get to the question we we had discussed but, but approaching the muskie with a fly relative to bait casters lures bucktails blade baits you know things of that nature when you do start to slow things down be it fishing with you know depth bigger flies, um, whatever your idea is that you're going with, I, I think there's merit to a lot of them. Um, but, you know, slowing that retrieve down a little bit, you have, there's like secondary and tertiary motion within flies. So, so you're getting, 
not just the the movement of the fly from your hand, but because generally speaking it's buoyant, bucktail flies, you're getting these kills and that hang time. So you you can move it slow and and when it stops, it doesn't look like a block of wood with paint on it. It's moving. The whole thing's moving. There's different flashpoints that are moving. Um so so some of that stuff when you when you are able to, and look, this is after four years of of fishing and you know th- three just a couple sections of two different rivers to get to a place where i felt comfortable guiding and, and once you start guiding it it's really the rich get richer where you all of a sudden have one to two people on your boat versus just you and you know i've made a small network and and fish with local folks in both Knoxville and um Brevard, Hendersonville and North Carolina. But you can't beat in terms of patterning, being able to see I, I do this with trout all the time. Your anglers I think when when appropriately schooled up when they're doing things right, you get to use them. And I, I tell people all the time, you're, I'm going to be your, I'm, you know, you're, you are going to be my guinea pig with this one. Or if I have two, I'm going to have one person fishing one thing and the other person fishing another or kind of same thing, but change the retrieve up. I had a guy this last weekend fishing fly and the dude in the back was totally capable of fishing fly. But uh, fish is conventional too, and I was having to throw the bait caster. And yeah, I have a good idea of where they are, what they're going to want to see, and we just get to use all of our time on the water to figure out what it is that, that's going to make them go. So long, long way to get to the fact that um, colder water can, when you know where they're going wintering wintering lies make them a little more predictable and then with the fly when bait's slowing down and everything's as you start seeing these lazy follows coming in getting the the hackle off the big flies almost stuck in their nostrils falling so slow and so close you're, you're not necessarily missing the the seven to one gear ratio on on some of the bait casting reels, and and you can a lot of the times, and especially in some of the sections of the French Broad, where it's smaller than the South Holston or the Watauga, it's it's pretty intimate. And yeah, for for people who are super familiar with and very good at fishing bait casters, and you you know you have a small arsenal of, of different presentations, very dangerous. But to get a fly in there, a lot of times you just need to be able to get the cast in, come tight to the line. And from there, after your cast is in and you're tight, it can really slow down. So a bunch of other important stuff that happens after that. But the the approach game is can be muted in, in terms of its 
chaos, I would say, compared to all the brown trout fishing. Yeah, got it. And to kind of really drill into Brenner's question, you know, he wanted to, like, I understand, you know, you're talking about the water gets cold, bait slower, you know, predator can be slower and more patient. And so you can kind of adjust your pacing uh, and how you present the fly for that. But, you know, Brenner wanted to get a little bit more of your thoughts in terms of how you change your retrieval patterns kind of based on water clarity and kind of uh, flow. Yeah, and so going going from my interpretation of that question, I think obviously some of that is about what happens or what the perception is around fish behavior or what they want to see in those conditions. I think it's also important to look at what what the angler can do what the rod can do, what the fly is doing in those different conditions. So for clarity, you have, thinking about clear water as a window into which an osprey or a heron is looking, I'm not going to say that there is any fear driven into musky a good way to shut down a, a small field of bait or trout or smallmouth musky food is is to put a bird over them so clear water just dampens everything that's happening in the river big sun lots of clarity it's just it's not good so again this is where you have all all manner of schools of thought I, I again think there's merit to a lot of them i i'm i'm becoming more of the mind that getting a, a presentation near where a muskie is i know this sounds stupid is the best way to to get a response from a muskie um yeah wh- whether or not they're they're going to eat something that is larger, something that is more lifelike. I, yeah, I, I think there is something to that, but but the the problem becomes getting it to that spot on a a repeated and consistent basis in a position that also has you retrieving with a straight line in your figure eight ready to strip set and it's really hard to do that when you're casting flies that are uncastably large or just you know weighted too much to to counteract too much bulk um so that's why sizing down and i want to be careful about that word but going going to something in between like eight to ten inches even in some of the bigger water I'd rather have more cast getting to likely spots and being pulled across likely troughs and in front of likely structure. I'd rather have that happening than struggling to get something that is quote unquote a, a bigger presentation or a better a better fly out there. Um, and and that's gonna go with 
clear water and and murk, murky water. I, I think that once once you start going to like re retrieve cadence on clear versus murky, speed is your friend and clear. I, I I struggle to see where that isn't true, and and that can be on your strips. So you don't necessarily need a two hand, but it's it's not you're you're putting hundreds of casts in, you know, sometimes fishing pools, certain runs, high confidence areas. Put two, three casts in the same spot for every single spot. There's no reason not to since you're out there, unless you're chatting with your buddy or you're checking your phone. And at that point, it's unfortunate because it's hard work. But you are giving up shots at catching a muskie. So if you're able to get those two or three shots out there, change it up. And the first thing I'll do is is change up that cadence of how often you're stopping your retrieve and how long that retrieve is stopped. And so when you have sinking line, a lot of these things are you know three, five, seven inches per second. Some are nine. You can be fishing the same fly with the exact same speed and distance on your strip and then just change how long you aren't stripping and that's going to allow your line to sink and you'll be fishing different parts of the water column fishing clear water you know that that's that speed you, you maybe you start with those those pauses being a little shorter, and I, I would really not hesitate from doing more stripping and less stopping. Um, and then with with murkier water and fishing lower, shorten up that distance that you're stripping, but keep the quickness being the same. And and, and what you're doing with these bucktail flies um craffer heads whatever it is you're giving these these twitchy fast pushy movements that I, that either from light the profile throwing down you know behind below around predators or the actual pushing of water i have rattles in all my flies i don't think that's a bad idea either but you're getting these rapid changes in direction and if it's going to be one side of the profile or, or, or something, you know, what we're up against is having a muskie see our fly first. And so to keep it in there longer, keep it in that kill zone longer. And don't be afraid to get hung up. So I, obviously don't be dredging on the 10th cast after you've hung up nine times. But give those, those quick twitches and then let your line sink. and pull it down there's times when you you change up flies to something a little smaller maybe it's more buoyant it just has less mass that sinking line same sinking line allows that thing it it's more mass pulling down on all of a sudden a, a less massive fly you're a foot lower than you were and same cast same type of retrieve we'll, we'll say the same color all of a sudden you see a muskie. So finding that depth and, and exploring how you're getting there 
not necessarily by these slow, long strips, but just simply not moving it, giving it those big kills and letting that line sink it. And and as it's working its way down, you're you're giving it twitches the whole time and continuing to let the the line and the rod do the work. I think I'm going to stop at that number of rabbit holes. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll ask one clarifying question. I'm assuming sure. that when water is clear, the the desire for speed is you're trying to get the muskie to eat as far away from the boat and as quickly as possible. Right? So you're- yeah, and, and that's not always going to happen. Um, I, I think that... I, I struggle with this one because I've seen the opposite hold true. And and I've also seen small flies, quick movement generate a a a, a follow up to the boat. And and once they're there and once they're engaged, they don't care. It's it's tunnel vision on the fly. And yeah, you want to do things like keep your eight moving out in front, off to the side, away from the boat, not into it keeping it low, not pulling it up into the boat. But to get there, yeah, yes, you, you of course, you want them to eat away from the boat after a cast while your rod is pointing at the fish and your line is tight and a muskie eats, that's perfect. When you see something that you're not sure what it was and you keep fishing and then you get into the, first turn of your eight and get smashed from under the boat yeah it's still awesome but from a boating the fish perspective it it can be challenging um i i don't think that moving it faster is is enticing in a predictable way whether or not that fish is going to eat away from the boat i think that in those higher clarity conditions the way i view it is there's generally speaking more more spookiness and the benefits of doing that start to compile pretty quickly because you're 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 hitting more spots and you're putting more potential eats out there more potential bite triggers out there and again, the hardest thing that we're doing is getting a muskie to see something that it might want to eat during a time when it wants to eat. And with clarity, with, with clear water, the, the good part is they're seeing it pretty confidently. And if, if they're seeing it and they're not going, which is most of the time, it's better to get another cast out there, which again, it sounds simple and kind of silly, but all of these things to, of just continuing to get flies in in positions where it might be in front of a fish, that's the hardest thing to do. And everything can be done right. And you should have been there an hour before or an hour later because that's when they were going to eat. Um, which is, you know, not always the case, but to have that mentality of just continuing to, to put as many presentations out there 
generally speaking, uh, you know, probing as as opposed to you know fish in a pool where you know that they might be. Um, at, at that point, we start to get into a little bit of the the temperature and and what the bait's doing, and and slowing down the retrieve could be could be the ticket there, even in clear water. So it, again, there's there's so many different ways to approach different water speeds. Are they wintering? Are they coming out of it? Um, are you fishing your address book? Are you fishing to fish you know where they are? Or are you just fishing? You're prospecting. And I, I, yeah, I think that you use that that speed as a a tool in your toolkit, but keeping in mind that the farther you are away from the surface, as a rule, the less spooky fish are going to be. And e- even with a little bit of tinge, where it seems kind of clear, when you start to lose your fly around two, three feet, or maybe there's a little more tinge, you start to lose around one or two feet, staying around that depth is is a good way to make sure that the flies somewhere where you can see it most of the time but fish aren't going to be too spooked about eating it when it, when they want to to eat it now to go back to what you said more fish fish eating the way from the away from the boat again i love that sometimes it takes the eight sometimes it takes five turns sometimes it takes 10 turns um you know is, is that the rod guides ripping through the water, making noises? Is it speed changes, direction changes, pauses during the eight? I'll let you know when I find out. (laughs) Well, there you go. And you know, folks, we love questions on the articulate fly. You can email them to us. You can DM us on social media, whatever is easiest for you. And if we use your question, I will send you some articulate fly swag. And we're getting a drawing for two days of fishing with Ellis and a night at the Watauga River Lodge. And Ellis, we were discussing before we started recording, we are actually going to uh, do that drawing next time, right? Yeah, I'm excited to see who's hanging out with me in the boat for, heck, if it's in the summer, it's dangerous. You could be with me for (laughs) 10 to 12 hours a day. Well, that doesn't include nap time and it doesn't include full grade Mountain Dew and Munchkins either, so... Or mousing. We're, t- we're talking 24-7. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I imagine, too, as we head into the holiday season, um, your bucktail game is probably kicking up. You want to let folks know about that and know where they can find you so they can book in fish with you? Yeah. Uh, fishing. Y- you can send me a, a contact contact me form and, and look up Bucktail. And there's, there's flies intermittently available at ellisworldflies.com. And I'll be generally making announcements of when Bucktail is available. There is a, a whole mess of Bucktail out. As a disclaimer, most of them are grades, five, you know, grades four and five. Those are they're fantastic tails, three point five to four point five inch fibers. Um, I just I I took a little extra time to to separate out the the really nice tails because 
I mean, deer tails, once they get to be five, five and a half, six inches, they become more rare and, and more unique. So if you have any questions on that, feel free to text me, shoot me a message on my website. Uh, find me on Instagram at Ellis Ward Guides. And again, shortcut to all of this is, is texting or calling at 513-543-0019. Uh, well, there you go. And, you know, folks, uh, we're you know, fall's disappearing, we're heading into winter and, you know, you may think it's cold now, but it's going to be really cold in February. So you owe it to yourself to get out there and catch a few. Tight lines, everybody. Tight lines, Ellis. Appreciate it, Marv. Mm-hmm.